Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Tao Te Ching to uncover its timeless wisdom and to discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, practicing psychotherapist and coder. I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach and consultant, David Wong. Morning, David. Good morning, Ian. Good to see you. you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. How's how's things in in your direction? Uh, pretty good. Uh, we are getting into the summertime, and uh, I think because of the uh, vaccination, and more people get you know vaccinated, and I see uh, in the na- nearby neighborhood, you know, more and more people, uh, you know, doing yoga and. Uh, you know, music band. Yeah, it's kind of a life's comes back. It's starting to, to to resemble earlier times. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And of course, we're we're focused on much earlier times today, going back in time to the the time that that Lao Tzu wrote Tao Te Ching, and and now we're we're really getting deep into the book at this point. We're going to start chapter sixty nine today. Great, great. Look forward to it. And so I'm hoping that you could start us off by reading the the text in Chinese. And I'm going to start putting the, the text on the website as well in case anyone has the need to, to find it. We're at www.walkingthetimelessway.com. And if you click interact, you'll find the blog posts there where I'll put resources for our podcast episodes. Okay, sounds good. So let me start by reading the original text for chapter 69. Yong bing yo yan, wu bu gan wei zhu, ar wei ke, bu gan jing cun, ar tui chi. 是为行无行，攘无弊，人无敌，直无兵。或莫大于轻敌，轻敌挤上物宝，故抗兵相加，哀者胜矣。Thank you very much. So this one had um, a few differences depending upon what version of text of original text that we're looking at. So um, I've kind of referenced a few different versions and this probably doesn't align with a, a literal translation of the characters, but it felt to me like this made a lot of sense the way that this one was, was written. So it's kind of a combination of, of, a couple of translations that I had worked through. The military has a saying, I dare not be the host, but rather the guest. I dare not advance an inch, but rather retreat. This means to form no ranks, to put on no armor, to brandish no weapons, to repulse no enemy. There is no greater calamity than to underestimate an enemy to underestimate an enemy is to lose one's treasures. Therefore, 
When opposing armies try to overcome each other, the compassionate one will win. And, and so what are your thoughts on just kind of the overall message of, of this chapter? What does, what does Lao Tzu want us to, to um, what's the main point he's trying to convey? Um, I think uh, this chapter reflects the underlying theme throughout Dao De Jing, which is Wu Wei. I think even in the area of warfare, uh, according to what's being said here, Lao Tzu believes that most effective warfare is actually to apply the Wu Wei principle. That's my uh, overall take on it. Yeah, this whole middle section, and and particularly, mm -hmm. but you know, don't advance an inch, rather re retreat, and you know, basically, why antagonize someone and and create more conflict if pulling back can um, make that conflict de-escalate? Yeah. So al always trying to de-escalate things and. Um, you know, the whole middle part of forming no ranks, not showing your weapons, basically don't don't create the conditions of conflict and, and do everything that you can to um, neutralize any sort of energy that could lead to conflict. Right. So based upon this, if we kind of shift our attention toward some of the things going on in the world right now, and we look at, um, let's say, China's military strategy right now, would you say that it's it's Dallas? Does it um, kind of line up with what we've been reading in these past couple of chapters? How would you make that comparison? Um, I think to answer that question, uh, that First of all, that requires the to answer the question about what China's strategy, uh, military strategy, really is. Hmm. Uh, you know, certainly I'm not an expert on it. Just I can maybe make some comments based on what I read about it or uh, you know heard about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think overall, I think China. Uh, uh, China's stated view in the international community is to uh, never to, uh, you know, to to become an, another superpower. You know, like mm. uh, historically, like in recent times, like the you know the former Soviet Union, or mm -hmm. the United States. Uh, you know, it, it wants to uh, seek uh, peace and development. Sort of a two keywords that. Uh, kind of uh, appear a lot mm. in the uh, you know a lot of the official documents. Uh, mm. and uh, peace and development. I think, um, of course, you know when you see some of its actions and behaviors, uh, it lead to a lot of countries and uh, the the you know neighboring countries and you know uh, and uh, international community to form different opinions uh, about the uh, intent and the implications of some of its uh, behaviors. 
especially you know around the you know South China Sea. Um, I think um, to answer your question, right now I feel like um, most of the time it's trying to match its military power with its economic and political power uh, because the way it sees it is that you know kind of historically that's how it happens right so uh, once the nation's interest is expanded you uh, economically and politically you kind of have to have the uh, military uh, back up to back it up um, but I do think that in Chinese typical Chinese mindset uh, both the, especially the common people uh, they culturally they feel like it's very costly to get into a war so the natural tendency is to avoid as much as possible into conflicts unless uh, you know it feels the, the, the common people and then together uh, you know with the government is like um, I would say the you know the national uh, sovereignty like including like the territory like a Taiwan or Hong Kong like uh, because it's stuck in the Chinese mindset it's like it's it's a part of their uh, the territory if that's something uh, you know it, it, something is uh, happening on that front I think the people will feel like it needs to kind of fiercely defend that. Uh, but other than that, mm -hmm. I, I do not think that Taoist idea ever has been uh, the doctrine uh, like a Confucianism or even legalism in the Chinese way of governing or mm -hmm. uh, de dealing with pragmatic mm -hmm. matters. It has more influence on you know, artists or the self-cultivation of intellectuals. Uh, but in terms of the uh, influence, I do think that, uh, you know, if you uh, look at the art of war, right, another important classic mm. of uh, China, actually, uh, the Bingjia, which is the school of thought on the military, mm. actually learned a lot from Daojia, from Laozi. So, uh, mm. you know, e even in the art of war, it says the superior war is never too get engaged in the violence because at that time it's already too costly uh, you know it just like hmm. kill lives destroy lives on both sides so try to minimize that chance of you know as you said uh, you know de-escalate not to you know pour the gas into the fire you know one thing that really stood out is um, when you're talking about how Taoist philosophy didn't really ever penetrate Chinese government, it was never really arranged that way. It's more been lived in, in among society and the artists and people with self reflection. And it just led me to think, you know, is, is there, I'm trying to imagine, I mean, whose military might be the most Taoist and, all I could come up with was Switzerland kind of with their position yeah, of, yeah, of neutrality yeah, and just yeah. kind of saying like, yeah, I think for Switzerland, 
a country of that size, maybe it's easier. I think for large countries on these continents, historically, it's probably hard given the human nature. Mm -hmm. There's this gravity that once, once you become powerful, you're sort of getting this attention from other countries that you didn't get before. And then there's probably some sense of, oh, I'm, I, I have yeah, to do something with this power. power is built up because you are either challenging of uh, existing order or you are getting a lot of attention mm -hmm. from, you know, other players. Uh, but that's exactly where the wisdom mm -hmm. lies. You know, I feel like Lao Tzu mm -hmm. here, uh, he's talking all about this approach uh, is uh, from a position of strength. So if you are in a weak position, I think if you do that, it's it's really kind of a stupid. You, you need to find a way to mm -hmm. self-defend yourself. Sometimes even like to be mm -hmm. uh, braver. You know, when you see, like sometimes you see mm -hmm. two animals, like uh, the one small dog and then big dog. It's usually the small dog mm -hmm. that barks mm -hmm. louder out of the psychological and physical, I guess, sense of uh, in, not, uh, not feeling safe enough yeah the, they they kind of typically are the ones that come across as being yeah, the more yeah, aggressive yeah, i think that's natural. a conflict i think what's Lao Tzu talking here is when a country uh is in uh, that delicate position of of being dedicated uh, 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 in that delicate position of strength what are you supposed to do can you use the power mm. smartly to minimize the cost of it for, for yourself and possibly for others? It makes it sound like there's, with more power, that there's more risk. And so in some ways, it's, it's a risk analysis of, you know, when, when you gather up so much power and so much strength, the decisions that you make, there's a... a a much more significant impact and so you should err on the side of of Wuwei because however that power gets expressed can have really big well consequences put. i think if you look at the united states i think at some historical uh, uh, moment it was a uh, an unwilling superpower right i mean even some people mm. advocated like mm -hmm. a, an isolationist approach don't never, you know, uh, United mm -hmm. States is protected by the two, you know, the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean, right? It's all God's given. Yeah. And you just like take good care of mm -hmm. yourself and don't get entangled in foreign matters. But ironically, or maybe naturally, um, because you are building up, you are stronger, and then the rest of the world come to help, like including Mr. Churchill. And then after that, mm -hmm. okay, after the World War, and then, you know, America starts to spread more and more around the world. So that's the yeah. kind of, um, I don't think anybody has an, a smart answer, like, where do you draw the line to, uh, to arrive and mm -hmm. to stay at that sweet spot. But how things happen usually kind of a push you toward a situation. And it really... I think behooves the, the leaders to 
to be wise and to think smartly, you know, what to do and what not to do. Yeah, I mean, we're, we've obviously seen, uh, you know, the, the U.S. Um, just recently start pulling out of, yeah. out of Afghanistan. And one of the things that really struck me, someone was trying to put it in perspective of how long we were in that conflict. And they said, you know, there's now parents whose children also have served in Afghanistan. And that really um, put it in perspective that, you know, that there's multiple generations now that, that served in that one war and, and that conflict. And, and I mean, who knows how much um, us being 20 years in, in that war, how that affected our country and, and the globe, we, we don't know, but certainly um, it did have a big impact, and that's it, it, what this chapter it, it, is all about, thinking uh, about. War is life and death. It has consequences, implications, for, hmm. especially for uh, common people, for families. Yeah, and, and um, we can see how often that the people at the top kind of going back to they live in a different world than the common person. And when the people at the top don't think about the consequences that it'll have on, again, all, all of those citizens that are underneath the, um, well, living in the common man's world, then, you know, it can be catastrophic yeah. when um, countries advance I mean, instead of it, retreat. Unfortunately, the leader has some kind of a notion of the uh, San Bao, the three treasures, right? Compassion, moderation, mm -hmm. and not dare to be the first, right? The kind of a humility. Mm -hmm. I think uh, then the common people are more fortunate, right? Uh, because of that kind of leader. Mm -hmm. And and so um, that kind of leads us into that uh, the last section of this chapter when it talks about when when armies do oppose each other that it's the the more compassionate army that that will win do you think is that a literal meaning or is it does it have some kind of other meaning i mean what does it mean to win what do you think louts is is talking uh, about i think it's a uh... It's literal here. Uh, first of all, the key word, I, uh, in the original Chinese uh, literal translation, is kind of a being sad. Being sad. I, uh, mm. like a B-I, right? But mm. that kind of I uh, is associated with heart or kind of a compassion. Because sometimes we, you see suffering. Right, you see suffering, then that kind of feeling emerge from your heart. So that's like mm. Fei and I and are kind of working together. So what Lao Tzu is saying here is something about human heart. Uh, I think a lot of times uh, I can uh, I can share with you uh, 
and personal experience. Even if I didn't experience it, like my uh, grandmother, when I was, uh, uh, when I was young, uh, told me the story in my hometown, Nanjing. Nanjing. And uh, during mm. that time, it was in the, 19, uh, in the 1930s, like I think that's 1937, around that time. Uh, so the, at that time, the Chinese government, uh, the Nationalist Party, the capital was in Nanjing. And uh, so uh, because of the uh, Japanese invasion, so the Chinese nationalist government moved to the inner land of China. So leaving that city, capital, mm. Nanjing, my hometown, very vulnerable. Like uh, my grandma uh, you know, uh, and other women and young children uh, were kind of, they're, they're desperate. I mean, they're like devastated because of the, the aggression. And at that time, hmm. uh, there was an American uh, a, a teacher who actually, who was born, I believe in, uh, I forgot her, her name, uh, but uh, she courageously, uh, she was teaching at a university. So she courageously, uh, you know, collected all the people, as many people as possible. Uh, oh, hmm. uh, sorry. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. Just a really yeah. sad story. Um, uh, on the campus and uh, put the, uh, the um, you know, American flag uh, there and try to pr protect these, mm -hmm. uh, uh, these civilians. Um, so, Many years later, my grandma told me that story, and they call this uh, 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 this uh, Miss uh, Hua 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 is, but is a Chinese. Uh, she had a Chinese, this American woman had a Chinese name, uh, Hua Hua Xiaojie, uh, like a Miss Hua, mm. and uh, she then uh, a lot of the Nanjing people remember her, and now there's a statue dedicated. To her, but unfortunately, she mm. saw in her diary. She kept in her diary and kept all these memories uh, in the diary. When she came back to the United States, she actually couldn't live with the memories, and she um, <clears throat> she committed suicide in the, in the 50s. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so why should I share this story? I think everything that happened afterwards, the Chinese people whether it's the Nationalist Party or the, the Communist Party, uh, all the Chinese people, they work together. And then, you know, with the international alliances, you know, uh, with, the, you know, the United States and other forces against uh, mm -hmm. the, you know, Nazis and, uh, and uh, Japanese aggression. I think that seemed to me that victory came from this kind of a feeling. Because... Mm -hmm. During that time, when you attack, you when you fight back, you fight back with really like justice and force. So that's why yeah. it's almost like by heaven's mandate, you've got to be succeed and win. It's not out of like your selfish aggression, take away others. It's mm -hmm. in the defense in that kind of uh, 
cosmic justice that when people get together and mm -hmm. fight, and that chance of winning is inevitably assured. That's how I see it. I mean, because mm -hmm. it's already your guts at that time. It, it, it's not affect you uh, intellectually. It affects your whole being. Yeah, it's not in your head anymore. And, and it just makes me wonder, do you think that that experience of, you know, being invaded by Japan and, and really being subjected to just the, the horrors that they unleashed, do you think that's really affected China's psyche as a whole? In, in other words, as far as whether or not they are some kind of superpower or not, that they don't want to be... They don't want to experience, they don't want to, they would never want to make some other country experience the horrors that they experienced. They know what that's like. And do you think that affected um, kind of the international approach that China is taking, like not wanting to be that kind of debased um, um, I think that invader? First of all, the first thing, a lot of the Chinese people, uh, including my generation, uh, concluded is China cannot, can never be uh, a weak and divided again. Because when your house is, is divided, mm -hmm. other ambitious parties, mm -hmm. even the Japanese who learned the Chinese culture for centuries, now they're like thieves that they're stealing from your house. Mm -hmm. They, mm -hmm. you know, they show the respect to mm -hmm. the emperors of the Chinese uh, dynasty uh, when they send all the mm -hmm. overseas students uh, in the seventh century to China to learn everything. But then China mm. civilization declined. So they took advantage of that because their land is so small. Mm. So mm -hmm. that's the first thing. Like, uh, because of China's weakness, uh, its own, own cultural decline and systemic, you know, uh, dynasty weaknesses that you know, people were fighting with each other, and then other parties. So yeah. we need to be strong and united uh, in order to, yeah, to maintain that strength. And then secondly, mm -hmm. you know, I think, uh, you know, just culturally, I think China doesn't want to get, to, really doesn't want to be a leader because there's a cost to be leader. Uh, you know, you mm -hmm. have to, right? I mean, there's, I think China mm -hmm. don't want to be the last, the, the, the weakest uh, uh, link, but it doesn't want to. But sometimes, you know, historically, you know, it may push that China into a <laughs> winning leader, right? Then China needs mm -hmm. to learn how to do that smartly. I think through history, if you look at all the, you know, Roman Empire to British Empire, uh, to the American empire, let's call it American empire. I do think human beings learn from history. Uh, I would say, r relatively speaking, America is more benevolent imperialist than some earlier ones from Europeans uh, and then from the Romans. Because, uh, because I think early on, people probably as a human kind, we just feel like the brute force, the brute force 
is only effective thing to uh, subject people to obedience, right? But later on, you feel like maybe cultural education, soft power influence, backed by the hard power. So I think gradually you do see, like you, you, you don't see, you know, some people will say, oh, uh, you know, even the America, you know, uh, in different parts of the world uh, did horrible things. But if you look at really read history, it is relatively, it's, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's less, it's yeah. more maybe civilized and less brutal than the previous powers. So I think if China mm -hmm. has to, you know, be the leader, it needs to build upon the human experience, the uh, mankind's collective experience to be even wiser and smarter uh, in this kind of world to, to, to play a, a, a leadership or mm -hmm. influential role in the, this world. Yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense. Just I was watching a movie last night called The Death of Stalin, and it's it's a comedy, but it's also terrifying at the same time. Just imagining living under Stalinism and and what that would have have felt like. I mean, it would have just been a horrible experience where you know enemy lists were made, and you know hundreds of thousands of people were who made the lists were you know, jailed and or tortured and or killed. And, you know, that having a, a soft approach where you get people on your side because you, you express benevolence, not because you're terrifying them. And so to just try to support what you were saying, just imagining... America's approach versus, you know, let's say Stalin had um, continued to expand Stalinism around the country and that was the um, dominant military power. I mean, it, it truly, I think that would have been a, a much more terrifying um, situation than, than the uh, American approach. And again, not to dismiss the fact that obviously many civilians have been killed from American military operations, but yes, there is a spectrum there and, and imagining one um, with less benevolence, more of a, a paranoid sociopathic approach. It obviously could have been, you know, I agree. a horror I agree. show. There's a notion, there's a kind of a saying that uh, history repeats itself. I think I agree to some extent, but I see, uh, I also see the human beings capacity to learn because there are history before, you know, histories are written, not in all the most uh, accurate or precise, but still mm -hmm. in that rough mm -hmm. outline, we learned, uh, we knew, uh, you know, some of the horrible things uh, either at that time wasn't seen as, you know, people were in a, maniac mm -hmm. mode they did that terrible things but people now we have the capacity to draw upon those and uh, expand our continuum you know to weigh maybe in order to uh, arrive at the same outcome maybe we can have better ways mm -hmm. 
yeah, these better ways that that we we're going to have to define just because we're so much more dependent upon each other. I mean, the system that's that's uh, e- emerged if if either the U.S. or China or Europe would suffer some kind of collapse, I mean, those ripple effects would go across the whole world and it would be awful for everyone. And so on the upside, there's uh, of globalism that the more dependent all of these countries are on some sort of stable system, there's a lot more incentive for countries to compete with each other rather than try to beat each other. So all these forces are uh, playing out, uh, maybe from the eyes of the Laozi, uh, through the wisdom of his eyes, you know, his, his eyes, he could see, uh, you know, that ultimate, that, uh, you know, that real thing uh, beyond the appearances, the appearances of power, right? What is the true mm-hmm. power? What is true victory? Yeah, and I think that's where I mean, there's certainly um, that emptiness, that stillness there. That when whenever Lao Tzu talks about um, using water metaphors of letting the mud settle, letting letting things that are stirred up just sort of settle and become clear again. That that real victory isn't all of this activity so much as as stillness like just letting the world be and and letting the people live which feels right now like we're a pretty far ways away from that this still feels like a very kind of agitated time to me how does it feel to you i I think so i think uh, every day uh you pick up in the news you know uh stories about people you know in power fighting with each other yeah yeah it's yeah i think it's agitation is a is a big word but also i noticed that uh like the the new president biden uh, is trying to diffuse those kind of the forces by doing different things. You know, like a lot of the uh, political symbols, but I do think political symbols, they do speak to people. Like th- symbols like, for example, you know, he went to the Ford plant, right, to, to test drive, you know, future America, you know, mm-hmm. he uh, signed the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the uh, you know, Asian American, uh, the pandemic, hate crime, that, that mm-hmm. uh, act into law. Mm-hmm. And also recently he recognized, an, you know, a uh, very old, like a, a ranger who, who uh, fought in the Korean War. You know, so I feel like these mm. ceremonies, these words, uh, accent is I think the uh, he's trying to accent uh, some of the you know positive things uh, kind of the soul of America I see similarly uh, on the China side too just yesterday over the weekend uh, a, a scientist uh, died 
his name is the Mr. Yuan. Mm. He's actually part of the member of the uh, so, uh, Social Science Academy in China, who was instrumental in experimenting with some of the uh, different hybrid of rice. So people can, you know, China mm. with that big population can eat, right? There's a plenty of rice through mm -hmm. experimenting of different, you know, hybrids so it can grow more. So mm. he's passing away. Uh, you see a lot of the, you know, people really kind of uh, missing him uh, uh, in, in mm -hmm. social media. I thought it's an in interesting trend because over the past several decades, I think in the Chinese society, there's a worship of the entertainers, uh, you know, fin finance people, high tech people, people who get rich. Uh, mm -hmm. These people, of course, they have their uh, roles and the functions in a society. You know, we want to be entertained. You know, there needs to be finance. Oh yeah. But what they are making is is not uh, is in disproportionate to their contribution to the real world. Mm -hmm. There's a recognition of the yeah. who are really the backbone of our society. Are these people who are on Wall yes. Street? You know, people who created the the, the, the the startup. You know, trying to really not uh, create something, but but uh, you know, doing the IPO. You know, because the real goal is: mm. Are you going to make some meaningful contribution to the society, or are you just mm -hmm. like make a bunch of money and leave? That's different. So I can yeah. see, uh, you know, a, a very subtle trend: people's like expressing their admiration of the real heroes. Mm. Yeah, the the actually producing something in, in society, not just being kind of a um, yeah. famous and, and popular, but not necessarily contributing to the fabric yes. of, like of society. For example, in Lao Tzu's time, uh, I think the farmers, the is is always seen mm -hmm. as, the, um, as the foundation of a society. So, mm -hmm. so there's a kind of a hierarchical like a ranking of who comes first is actually mm -hmm. Nongming. Then maybe some of the like mm. the Chinese like intellectual scholars, but definitely not a businessman. In, mm. the, in, in China, businessmen mm -hmm. are, uh, you know, people show con con uh, uh, content. Yeah, because these are content? people who are yeah. perceived as shrewd and like traders and trying to, mm. you know, not making anything. Mm -hmm. And trying to, uh, you know, take advantage of the supply and demand. <laughs> yeah, but you always assume that you always yeah, assume that yeah, they're trying exactly. to cheat. Is that you a similar bit. In, in in the? Um, I know, like during the early foundings, like a uh, like a Thomas Jefferson, uh, really don't really quite like like people like a Hamilton or, uh, uh, but he wanted mm -hmm. to maintain that colonial like a farming. A small agriculture society. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, it's 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 something to think about. Like, what what would it have been like had we not created, you know, mass 
farming to where, you know, one person could make yeah. all of the food for yeah. a thousand people. Like what kind of positive impact would that have had on our society? If, you know, ever like basically if, if all food was kind of locally grown and, and people still kind of banded yeah. around uh, local yeah. areas, even as technology improved, you know, had yeah. we made those yeah. decisions, if, you know, could we have, could we have, um, change society in a way where where may, maybe that those yeah, social bonds would point. be stronger. I think now we have all the hindsight uh, and look back and see what good mm. came out of it and what really what what bad came out of it. Mm -hmm. Can you specialize too much? Like we we enabled the the farmers to become you know a, such a small portion of the population, so everyone else could specialize and are we at the point now where we we over specialized like we freed up too many people and 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 now there's a lot of people just feeling a yeah. little unmoored and That's alienated and and a lot of the agitation mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier came out of this sense of alienation doesn't feel like it belong mm -hmm. really part of part of but then if you do have a place to belong, you are so fanatic about it, right? <laughs> Either you are like, mm -hmm. you are not isolated yeah. from, you know, you are not the part of the social fabric at all. You feel lonely, but then boom, there's something, mm -hmm. you know, there's somebody like a demagoguery and then you band together, but mm -hmm. that band together gives you a, 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 like a, a surge of that belonging, but that can, yeah you know serve a bad purpose definitely versus the the type of belonging that we used to have i was actually talking with a friend of mine yesterday about it and then writing a little bit about it yesterday but when when we evolved as human beings we never really had more than 60 or 100 people in our um in our yeah. groups. I mean, that's what we, our, our whole beings evolved in that context. And you want to talk about yeah. intimacy. I mean, those groups would have lived far more intimately than even yeah. how people grew up in, in small town, small towns say like, which can be pretty right. intimate. Everybody knows each other and who, who's, who's in what family and what they do. But you think we evolved in a context where we had even more intimacy. I mean, people were, you know, emotionally connected in a way constantly throughout the day where we, we don't like how it feels to not be engaging with another mm -hmm. person and feeling, you know, like there's two, uh, two or more people bound together. Like we, we immediately get a sense of well-being when we start feeling connected to even just one yep, other yep. person and, and we evolved for us to feel that way pretty much all the time and yes, deeply yes, emotionally yes. connected. Like we knew everyone intimately who was in our world and um, we were constantly interacting with them and building yeah. these tight bonds. And now we're trying to, deal with that need in a society that wants to tell us 
to be an individual, to be completely, um, you know, my career, my, my life, my, like we, we think so much in the context of ourselves as a atomic unit that we forget how much we need to, to feel safe and secure, you know, even going back to the small town analogy that we knew our, our post, whoever, we knew the person delivering the mail. We yeah, knew who was baking uh, the bread. We knew who was selling us the meat. We knew around the corner, right? Yeah. You have a, you, you have a chat with you knew everyone. Buy something, you know, like, I, I think the, uh, I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. about you. Like I still have like a very found memories of my childhood. Like, you know, those local stores, mm-hmm. those very, a simple life, mm-hmm. right? At that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like my, my best wow. friend's mom, she was the, she worked at the grocery store. And so when you would go buy stuff, it's like, oh, well, yeah. that's my, my friend's mom. And you just, you knew everyone. And so you felt like you belong and, and you knew that sense of security that comes from that. Just it's, it, we can't replace it. And so um, I don't know what the solution to that is in in our time, but we were talking about even imagining, you know, you could start with one county and, and, and kind of make some kind of grid where we have so many different worldviews now and, and two parties doesn't feel like it's, Mm -hmm. it's working like, because we have more than two ways of being in the world. And, and so what if you took a county and kind of divided it up a grid into a bunch of little towns and basically just start letting groups of 60 to 100 people form their own little town in this grid system and, and they can kind of create the culture that they want there. So then across the country, you could have all different types of towns and, and people kind of live as these deeply emotionally connected groups again in the way that they want to, you know, because you know, regionally we, we just have, we don't have two ways of living in this country. We've got hundreds of, of thousands of, of ways of, of living uh, and in that, cultures. And that's so such a cool idea. It's almost, it sounds to me like uh, you are making your playlist of people, right. You want to live with or, you know, yeah. we, we yeah. do that with the music all the mm-hmm. time, right? We, we uh, create our favorite mm-hmm. uh, playlist, right? But, you know, what if mm-hmm. we can do that with a, with, with a all different kinds of people uh, as opposed to this kind of a binary yeah. view, you know? Yeah, trying to fit, force people to fit into a worldview that they, it, that they feel crushed by, that they feel... Um, like it doesn't resonate with them. And so rather than trying to dictate to everyone, like you all have to think this way. I mean, that's true multiculturalism. I mean, right now we're not actually making <clears throat> multiculturalism. We're, we're trying to create this monolithic way of seeing the world for almost 400 million people. And that's just not going to work. That's why it feels so yeah, don't, oppressive. Uh, I think, so I think like, uh, the multiculturalism as a slogan become something that people hate about. But, uh, but in reality, mm. if you let people have the freedom to mix with people, I think that automatically, mm-hmm. once you yeah. turn that into a, a, a concept, then people are kind of a, 
mm-hmm. against it because you know we're trying to force something. Yeah. But what if you do that naturally? Yeah. And, and and in reality, mm-hmm. it is multiculturalism in some way, right? It's just like different. Yeah. D- different flavors. Then it's true it's multiculturalism. Like a similar thing, yeah. like you're cooking a a fantastic meal, right? By mixing all these mm-hmm. kind of ingredients. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of metaphors in nature. I feel like that we can do as a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so if if people, I mean, uh, uh, like you think about um, how culture arises out of, um, you know again, kind of small groups of people kind of interacting with each other and then some kind of thing emerges out of that that's it's bigger than the sum of the parts. And if you had tens of thousands of those across the country, I mean, think about the rich cultures that could develop if people were living in these smaller groups across the country, there could still be some kind of infrastructure that connects everything and still, you know, lets people, you know, have resources distributed or or whatever, but really letting people live more in the way that they want to live and, and building up little tribes all across the country. And then if you wanted to go on vacation you know, you could just go yeah, a couple yeah. miles down the street and experience some completely different culture See, than the one that I, you live I, in. I feel like on this planet, uh, 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 this land has the uh, historically or geogra- geographically uh, has the ad- the unique advantage to create something like that, right? To create something like that. Because mm-hmm. other continents like Asia, Asia is a very old continent, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it has a lot of historically... Uh, it, 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 hmm. You know, during that time, it's all organically grew out of uh, a long history. While mm-hmm. in here, you have all the mm-hmm. people who brought, you know, the the best uh, and the worst. But it doesn't matter. It's the whole package into this land. And then you create an environment to let people to naturally mix with each other as opposed to dictating oh you you have to belong here you have to belong here i mean wouldn't mm. that be wonderful it right it's it's almost like a mo- mosaic mm. that the the blossoming yeah. of the yes. human intelligence and civilization and creativity yeah and so just thinking like how can we actually support uh, a an infrastructure or create an infrastructure to support that, to really let, let people live more freely and create all of these subcultures across the country. Because I think we figured out you can't force 400 million people to all think the same way. Yeah. Maybe the painful transition period right now uh, is just a time we should live to feel enough of a pain to yearn for that kind of a scenario you and I talking about. You know, it's just like we need to feel mm-hmm. the pain enough to get out of it. That's another way of mm-hmm. <laughs> looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe just having experienced coronavirus, people will, <clears throat> that could be one thing that propels a little bit. One, that we don't necessarily have to have these city centers the way that we've experienced because 
people can work from home, people can work remotely. But on the flip side, we also want to have a lot more human connection. We also realize how much we need that. And so in in some ways, it, it even seems like it's pushing things that way too, where, okay, I don't have to live within you know, this really dense populated area where it creates a lot more stress and chaos and, and that sort of thing. I can work away from some kind of centralized place, but then I also want to have deep connections yeah. in my community. And so it does seem like building a future that is smaller where, you know, smaller communities distributed network yeah. though of resources so like we yeah. could still be one country but a lot a whole a whole instead of um you know 50 medium to large size, yeah. size cities we have tens of thousands of communities so breaking those up and then people are going to feel a lot more connected to each other those areas can create their own culture we really become this rich, diverse country that way versus, you know, I think we've kind of pushed this to an extreme where we feel like um, we, we've all got to see everything know. the same I, way. I feel like there's definitely some kind of a long-term impact from all this. You know, this thing, you know, which on the surface is kind of a, a bad and inconvenient may just like everything else like the uh, seem to be negative like something positive can can come out of it you know it creates the the sparks right uh, usually creativity uh, mm-hmm. is b- brought about through constraints so these constraints that we face mm-hmm. during this very strange period of time mm-hmm. create a future catalyst or sparks of inspiration you know, for what the future might look like. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely propelled us in a new direction. And and so it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see over the next 10 years. um, You know, what does it do? Because I think we, we will definitely see um, something, something's going to change as, as a result. Podcast, we can, you know, at this moment in time, serve as this conversation this imagining can serve as a you know a, a mark you know <laughs> on the on the on the mm-hmm. sand of time and we'll see uh what's going to happen that sounds great well david i know we took a little bit of a detour there at the end but that was a, a really interesting talk about that so um Looks like we're going to start wrapping up for today, but thanks again for the conversation. Enjoy our uh, conversation as always. And thank you to the listeners for joining us and exploring Tao Te Ching while we're all trying to understand how to walk the timeless way.